Hello campers, welcome back to Girls Camp. I'm your host, Haley Rawl, and I've got a wonderful interview in store for you. Today's guest is Indy Blue. I think Indy's reputation precedes her, meaning I'm sure many of you know who she is, but if not, Indy is one of the OG Utah influencers. She started influencing back in high school about 10 years ago and has amassed a very large and loyal following since then. Not only is she a social media influencer, she also started a hugely successful clothing brand called Lonely Ghost. And she has really grown up on the internet, I would say. And I think many of us have watched her journey through high school, through traveling, having a baby, getting married. And while she was doing all of this publicly on the internet, she was also going through a faith transition. And we get to talk about that in depth today. What the faith transition was like for her, what it was like to be public during it, her thoughts and feelings about Mormonism now. We talk about the Barbie movie, of course. We talk about motherhood, post-Mormon motherhood. We talk a lot about her relationship with her husband Jackson and how that is intertwined with all of the Mormonism stuff. It's a really wonderful conversation and dare I say it is highly relatable and relevant to so many of us post-Mormons. So I think you are really going to like it. Before we get to the interview, let's do a little campfire chat. I have a couple of things I want to talk about. First things first, I got a tattoo this week. My second tattoo. I've talked about this on Instagram. I've talked about it on TikTok. I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. I just want to tell you on the podcast how it went down. I have been considering getting a second tattoo for quite some time. I've been debating placement and what I want it to be, and I have Pinterest boards galore. So it goes when you are trying to decide what to permanently put on your body, right, when getting a tattoo. I already have one tattoo, which is two butterflies I got on my arm when we decided to implant two embryos that are now my twin girls. So that is my only tattoo. It's very meaningful to me, and I got it probably three years ago now, so it's been a while. So last week, last Thursday, I got invited to this really fun brand event held by Baked Beauty Co., and I saw in the invitation that they were doing fine line tattoos there. They were going to have a flash tattoo set up. I didn't think much of it because I wasn't planning on getting anything flash, but, you know, I kind of registered that in my brain. I ended up going with two of my close girlfriends, one of which is my friend Carly. Carly and I walked into the event and we saw this artist's flash sheet and there was this cutest, most precious little bow design and we both immediately fell in love with it. We were obsessed. So we asked her, oh, you know, we want to get a bow. And we were kind of playing around with the idea. And she said, oh, I only have two bows I can do tonight because I didn't realize with flash, they only do a certain amount of each design because I already have the stencils drawn up. And it just felt so serendipitous that there were two bows left. And within 10 minutes of walking into the event, I was laying on the tattoo table getting a little bow on my wrist. I love how spontaneous it was for me. 
I feel like it shows how much more confident I am in making decisions about myself and my body. And it just felt so right. It felt very intuitively right. And I woke up the next morning and loved it even more. And even though it didn't mean anything to me when I first got it, I just liked it and thought it was special to get a matching one with Carly. Since then, it feels very much symbolic of femininity, of girlhood, of female friendship. I'm just very glad I have it on my body. And I think it's a really fun and special story too. The other thing that's been on my mind is motherhood, parenthood. I told you Indy and I talked about this. The Barbie movie talked about this, which I think originally kind of had me ruminating. And my girls are at this age right now. They are 16 months and it is so much fun. They are so cute. I could literally scream the amount of personality I get to witness every single day as they grow is so special. They're so funny. They're so sweet. And motherhood is also kicking my ass in a very real way. That's due to a number of factors, but I think I'm also starting to realize at this age, oh, these are babies, but they're turning into human beings with opinions and preferences and frustrations and personalities that are wonderful and I wouldn't have it any other way, but I'm starting to see how overwhelming that can be as a parent and how complicated I guess it can get kind of seeing a glimpse into the future and it's just got me thinking about parenthood and all the things about it. I also have been having some really enlightening and interesting conversations in my DMs about people who are childless by choice, so people who have chosen not to have kids, and I actually am working on scheduling an interview with someone who is childless by choice, and I cannot wait to get her on to talk about that decision and what went into it and what it's been like in society and in Utah, so I don't know. I think I've just been thinking a lot about our motivations to be parents, how it relates to our Mormonism or our religion if we were brought up in religion, and just the pressures of society. I think there's just so much to parenthood, and it intersects so much with the Mormon stuff too. So I guess I'm just going to say that there's lots more to get into there, and I'm excited to do some more deep dives on the parenthood thing. Alrighty, that is all for today's campfire chat and now I will play today's interview with the wonderful Indy Blue. Welcome Indy to Girls Camp. Hello. So excited to have you here. I was actually just talking to my sister on the phone and I was like, yeah, I'm having Indy and I'm really excited to hear your story. I feel like this is something, it doesn't seem like you're shy of talking about church stuff, but I don't know. I think there's a lot of value and power in kind of hearing like mm-hmm. the whole narrative of yeah. it. So I'm super excited to get into it with you. Thank you. I'm so I'm so happy and proud of you. Oh, like, this you're is, so sweet. This is such a powerful platform you made. That's so sweet. That means a lot to me. Okay, let's get into it. I just want to start at the beginning. Also, contextually, you and I grew up super close to each other. You're from right? Orem. Yes. What high school did you go to? Tim Penogas. Okay. And I went to Tim Few. Yep. And you graduated what year? 
2015. Okay. So you're, I graduated 13. I know. And we have so many similar I know, which is so fun. But I'm curious to hear about your upbringing Mm -hmm. with Mormonism specifically, because you lived, did you live in Orem your whole like childhood? Yeah. So I was born in Spanish Fork. Okay. My mom, my mom's side of the family is seven kids. And that's actually how Seven got his name. Oh, I didn't know that. So my Cute. mom's last name is Neves, which is Seven backwards. Mm. There's seven siblings. Wow. Super tight-knit Mormon family. And I was the first granddaughter. It was a beautiful childhood. It was ideal. In what ways? <laughs> In just the way I viewed it. Yeah. I feel like looking back, I am starting to put pieces together of honestly this feeling of looking for acceptance like my whole life but I I never I would never describe my childhood as like anything but amazing until I went to therapy I guess totally <laughs> no that's so interesting I feel like that's something a lot of post-mormons in like a deconstruction phase discover and I don't think it takes away from the beauty of the childhood no but it's like oh I related to something so differently yeah it's another side yeah. yes and then you kind of discover even sometimes a ways down the road after yeah. leaving like oh there was actually all of this goes all the way back even to childhood yeah which I've kind of been through that myself exactly. where I'm like wait certain experiences just like are different to me mm-hmm. now and I yeah kind of glean different things on that note I think Mormonism ties so much into that because I grew up in this Mormon family where family was everything and it was so beautiful. And so the thing to highlight is that we fit the mold perfectly, you Mm. know? So Mormonism worked for us. And of course, like that seemed like the way to be, the way to go. As a kid, that was that was a way for me to find acceptance. But it was a contrast to these feelings inside that I didn't belong. And I think it's interesting because like my husband, he knew at age seven that like the church wasn't for him. That young. Yeah. And I feel like I have a lot of friends like that, Mm. but I was so in. And I think it was like, maybe I needed acceptance from God. Like I would try so hard. I would bear my testimony every Sunday. I remember praying every night because I wanted to have a goal that I would never miss a day of prayer in my life. Mm -hmm. So it was like borderline obsessive and like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but in my eyes, it was like, that was the most important thing to be was a good member of the church. I think for me, I'm sorry, I'm literally going to jump all all over the place. Please (laughs) do. There's no need for chronology here. (laughs) Please do. Um, This is actually kind of, I'm writing a book and this is kind of the at least the beginning Mm. Um, but something I'm really working working out is this desire I had to be famous as a kid interesting and trying to like find where it came from and I really and I think part of it was this lack of acceptance feeling like I wasn't as righteous as maybe like my cousins or the girls in my church class who knew all their scripture stories and I always wanted to be a young woman's president Mm or activities as president, or anything, and never in my entire time. And really, you know, we know how it is now. Like, you kind of, everyone gets a turn. I was never. That story to me is so sad because at the time I just thought, God doesn't think I can be a leader. He doesn't think yeah. I'm worthy. Because they drill that into your head that 
God is the one making those choices. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's so and interesting. So where the other girls could care less and they were like annoyed by the by being responsibility. like my president or whatever. Yeah, yeah. To me, it was like, if God sees me, like then he's, I want this. Why, why won't he let me have it? And it's almost like in retrospect, I think I tried so hard and that the young women leaders maybe wanted to give the other girls a chance. And I was hand raised all the time, center of attention because mine was more performative because I didn't, I could see that I didn't connect as those other good Mormon girls did. And so in my opinion, like reading my scriptures every day or being the young women's president, that's how I could find acceptance and worth. So I think there's also this back to the being famous thing, this idea even really early on that I wanted more than all of the examples of women around me. And that's not to say that I didn't admire and respect everything about the women around me in my life, but every woman in my life was Mormon. And it was the same path that they all followed. You know, you you get baptized, you go to young women's, you go to high school, you don't date till you're 16, you marry a return missionary, go to college until you can find one, have babies, get married in the temple. It's like very set in stone. And something was really unsettling to me, so unsettling about that to me early on in my life. There was just this part of me that thought maybe there was more and maybe if I could be famous, yeah. that would be my golden ticket. Yeah, like you I could would, break out of that box. Yeah, and I and I would still be Mormon. Like that was what I would always tell myself. Like I could I could um proselyte to the world and I I, I would watch Hannah Montana and just be like oh, if only, like, if only, like, I could be the Mormon Hannah Montana. (laughs) But there was something so stifling about the idea that my life was already laid out for me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And so I think early on, there was always this level of performance. And I don't think it's any surprise I ended up as an influencer, because I've always just been kind of searching for a place of acceptance, because that earliest foundation of you know, not feeling accepted in the church, but trying so hard. That's, you know, the therapy stuff. Yeah, (laughs) that's a huge deal. I hadn't ever connected until you said it that way, that when you feel like you're not getting recognition or validation for your performance as a church member, it feels like God is the one who's not giving you that validation and recognition, which is probably the most devastating thing right that's the Mm -hmm. the person the being that you feel like you need that the most from so that sounds really hard to feel like you were doing everything you felt like you could do but not getting that in Mm -hmm. return I think that fame piece is really interesting because I don't know I wonder if there's any element of it too like let me know if this rings true but I think with Mormonism and especially with what you were saying around oh I wanted to be famous but stay Mormon There's kind of an obsession with famous Mormons specifically, and Mormons really love when other Mormons get famous because it's like, oh, well, Steve Young's a Mormon, you know? Who else? It was like... David Archuleta was huge, I feel like. Sam from like Harley. Yes. Oh, I would tell everyone. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Because it was like, oh, we're represented. Mm -hmm. We're not crazy. We're not weird. Exactly. It makes us feel more normal. Mm -hmm. I think it made me feel more normal as a Mormon when there were famous people who were successful and Mormon. And just because a lot of people who 
do reach a certain level of success don't stay Mormon. So there's yeah. kind of that element too. Yeah. But I think that's really interesting. I'm sure there's a lot to that tied in with all the Mormonism, like you're saying, with belonging, with recognition, yeah. with need for validation in a way that fame can bring mm-hmm. if you feel like you're not getting that in your closest, most tight-knit community. Exactly. Yeah, really interesting. So you were kind of dealing with, it sounds like in your childhood, you were trying really hard to be a good Mormon. It wasn't like all the way fitting. I want to hear more about your teen years and especially with influencing kind of when that started for you and how that maybe intersected with or overlapped with Mm -hmm. Mormonism and where you were at with your faith. Yeah, I was still such a such a good Mormon. I was, you know, seminary. I was there every day. I still read my scriptures every night. I was trying hard and I was trying to want to go on a mission. And it's so crazy to even think that now, but I really like in a lot of ways I thought that that was a way to get love. And the larger story is just kind of always being someone else that other people wanted me to be. Mm. I think I think my individuality really trying to find my individuality or accepting it was one of the first steps to kind of my awakening to everything. I think being in high school, being a teenager, like you are searching for individuality, but you also just want to fit in. So that's that's kind of what I was going through, just like trying to please everyone, but also wanting to find myself and like starting to kind of find my own path. And I met my husband in high school and he he's the one who really just opened my eyes in, in every single way. Um, How old were you when you met? We were 16. Oh, or wow. I was 16. He was a year older. Yeah. And he really, yeah, had wanted nothing to do with the church and he went on a mission Pretty much just for me. I mean, it was exactly just for me. And, you know, that was a really hard time in his life. And we broke up afterwards because he left the church. Essentially, that was, to me, the end-all be-all. Like, I could not be with someone who wasn't in the church. That was just such a a beautiful life lesson, um, just our love story, because ultimately it was like he loved me just for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was scared to love him because of what other people would think. It was only because of the, he didn't fit the mold. He didn't yeah. fit this Mormon mold. And it all goes back to acceptance and being scared of people not accepting him. And when I finally, um, I mean, and it was years, years after high school, but I think it's just, it's so hard in the church, especially for a girl to, try to find herself there's so much pressure and then there's so many rules and just such a small box that you're allowed to be in yeah totally it's so hard to explain because I've always just wanted to be accepted and but then there's always I've always had an inherent confidence where I don't care what people think at the end of the day like I don't know how to explain it because it doesn't make sense like yeah it's both I care I care so deeply but at the end of the day like that was kind of when I became an influencer all during that. I was viewed as like, like I was really the talk of the town and I was yeah, 100%. doing nothing. Like, so like what, what people were talking about was just so 
it's it's just so crazy looking back and yeah when jackson came home from his mission it was just such a big deal everyone was talking about it when i got pregnant it was such a big deal and i think going through that has like really just taught me not to care i have so many questions you just yeah just jump into i okay the first thing i wanted to ask is you started dating jackson at 16 and he was pretty out of the church yeah i'm curious and I mean, just for context for anyone listening who doesn't know, being in Orem, Utah, as a if he was 17 at the time, being out of the church is a huge deal. Yeah. A huge deal. Mm-hmm. Like most people, I'm I don't know what Timpanogos was like. Tim Few was probably 95% Mormon. Oh, same, yeah. People are just Mormon. That's just what's going on. So when you were dating him, I'm curious what you feel like the reaction to that was amongst friends, maybe family. Maybe speaking more to Jackson's experience, like how did people treat him or treat you for being with him because he wasn't Mormon? Oh, it was so sad. It was so sad and it really like broke his spirit. And and for what, you know, like because he got tattoos or started smoking weed or... Which now everyone's doing. Right? <laughs> and We all he, got there eventually. <laughs> right? But it was really hard for him and... It's something like that's so hard for me to even just look back on and remember because, yeah, it's a weird place to live. He's he's amazing and he's so I feel like he's really grown in his confidence and that might have been the thing that pushed him to just like really find himself. And he's he's just such an example of confidence to me. But there was some dark years. (laughs) Yeah, I can only imagine. I really deeply admire people who figure out for themselves like they figure out this is not for me mm-hmm. and are willing to actually live live yeah at that it's age yeah. I cannot imagine doing that at that age yeah. because it's what everyone was doing and I relate to you very deeply in what you're talking about with this kind of dichotomy between wanting so deeply to be praised and loved and valued but also having this seemingly contradictory need to be different Mm -hmm. and to do things in a new way and to not be like typical Mormon. I never wanted to be typical Mormon girl, but I still wanted to be doing it in ways that would give me that praise. And I think that that's in a lot of ways makes a lot of sense based on the things you're talking about within Mormonism, right? You're being told this is how you get praise as a Mormon girl Mm -hmm. teen But then in our hearts and in our souls, we're like, but we also want to be different and be ourselves. And so you're kind of like wrestling with those two things. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult. Because, yeah, it's so confusing. But then I think the real me is the me that knew that it wasn't for me. And what it comes back to for me is that I think, okay, the best way for me to explain it is like, I found out like maybe two years ago that I have like severe ADHD Mm. like everyone else on TikTok or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) retracing my life was so eye-opening just being like oh I wasn't dumb I just learned differently and then other kids and school was such a challenge for me you know paying attention was such a challenge for me keeping my backpack organized like there's a million things that I think of where I'm like oh all these things that I thought were weaknesses they're just differences but in school there's one way to learn for every single kid yeah there's standardized testing yeah Yeah. and so there's kids that thrive in that environment and then there's kids that don't and the kids that don't are just like well there's something wrong with you 
you need to get in line. Let's get your kid on Adderall. Let's put, let's send him to the principal's office. Like let's isolate. Like there's all these things to do to get these kids to fit this system instead of acknowledging how different each kid learns. And for me, I feel that way about the church where I just couldn't understand why it like made so much sense to everyone. But for me, it felt like I was performing and I was waiting for it to just like hit me. And I've always been so spiritual, so spiritual. So that was another thing that was almost confusing in the church because I could not deny these powerful experiences I was having and um, these knowings that I would feel. I was always spiritual, but there was this part of me that just felt like there was more. It's like back to the famous thing. I'm like, I, deep down, I was like, there might, there, is this all there is for me? And again, not to say that I look down on people who follow that path. It's just that that's in the same way that I can't just sit in a desk for two hours and listen to a lecture. I just don't think I was made for this way of life. And I don't, I feel like you you do a great job on your podcast. You always talk about how people need that and people need a place to feel safe. And we're all just doing our best. Yeah. But it's also just like, how could there be one exactly way? Yeah. To access to spirituality. To access spirituality. To live life. Yeah. I that think was so hard for me to understand. Totally. I think you're hitting on so many good things of like... I'm so all over the place. No, it's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I'm all about it. I feel like Mormonism really, at least in my experience, and it sounds like in yours as well, there's a high need for sameness. Mm-hmm. And especially as a woman, because you kind of have the career path thing, like less on the table. And it is stifling to look at life and think, okay, it seems like everyone around me is dying to be a mom and is so excited to maybe go on a mission and whatever. Even when you're in high school, like everyone wants to marry a return missionary. Yeah. So like, I guess that's what you got to do. And yeah, there's so many layers to the dissonance that that can create when it just doesn't feel like the right path for you. And this is something that I think for some people, their life path feels that feels aligned for them. Mm -hmm. And so Mormonism is a fantastic fit because it lines up with like truly who they are. But for a lot of us, that's not the case. And when you feel like you only have one option, that can feel really scary. Okay, when are we going to talk about Barbie? Oh my I feel gosh. like I have when to bring it up When did you see now. it? Tell me. Yes. Tell well, me your I texted thoughts. Haley before this. I was like, Barbie is a metaphor for the Mormon church. 100%. <laughs> I saw it last week and I've, been, I've thought about it every day. But the reason I started thinking about that today was because there's this quote at the end where I think it's Ruth Handler maybe, or maybe it's Gloria. Ferreira. I don't know. Yeah. One of them, they're saying like, life is hard. Like being a human is hard. And Humans invent things like the patriarchy and Barbie to like just get by. And to me, like that really rings true to religion. Like none of us know what we're doing. None of us know what we're doing. And life is hard and painful. People are like just trying to cope with being alive. 100%. And like, and I think none of us know. And I I know people like that. It's uncomfortable to hear, but the most enlightened people, the most intelligent people, the most spiritually gifted people like we don't know and I don't think that's the point and I think Barbie just hit that on the head because you know there's Barbie land that is all the same and it is all laid out and you're 
every day is the best day ever and every night is girls night and you do the same thing every single day and it's perfect and great and safe and familiar but she senses that there's something more you know and it's like and then she gets out in the real world and she's like this sucks the moment where she smiles at the woman and my favorite part it's so precious and i love that part yeah it's so powerful and I think that's, to me, what I took away from the movie is, like, being a human is hard, and we're all just trying to get by. We really are. And some people love Barbie, and some people love the church. Totally. And I really just think humanity and, and, the, and the fact that she chose humanity and chose the pain and chose the feeling is so special. And to me, that's what I like to think about when I think I, when I start to have shame about the church and shame about leaving i don't think the point of my life is to prepare for the next one Mm. i'm like okay with not knowing yeah and i'm okay with just like you know having an adventure on earth and then figuring out figuring out the rest later i think religion is made to keep people safe if you think about it like the the guidelines of the church they're just to help you live like a healthy life but to expect like a one size fits all for everyone or to t- make those things dependent on your worth. That's dangerous. I'm just glad that I, I kind of figured that out at a young age mm. um, because it has eased some of that pain of, yeah. of self-worth issues and, and seeking acceptance. Yeah, I love how you explained that. I think for me, there is Mormonism almost functioned as a layer of like cushion from reality yeah, almost. Like Barbie land. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when you said that, where it's like, oh, I have the answers. If things are hard, I know why they're hard. I know it's part of this XYZ mm-hmm. plan. And I think that's why leaving a religion like Mormonism is so difficult is because you're stepping into, you know, yeah, Barbie no. going into the real world. Yeah. But you recognize there's maybe higher highs and lower lows. Almost you just feel, I feel for myself, more connected with myself, my humanity by stepping away from something that is such a strict framework. And I know some people within the Mormon framework, they maybe feel like that gives them tools to access humanity and Mm -hmm. to access whatever. So I think it's just exactly what you're saying, where it's like for a lot of us that felt almost like a facade that Mm -hmm. was kind of like covering up reality. And I also love what you said about presence and realizing I'm here. What's guaranteed is here and now and today and this moment. And so, you know, for some people, it maybe helps to have a perspective beyond this life. And that's great. But for me, I've actually found way more presence by saying, we'll see, who knows? Yeah. But this is what's guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Which I think you spoke to really beautifully. Thank you. I want to talk about, you kind of hinted at this earlier, but I want to go back to, as you're becoming an influencer, what that was like for you to be an influencer, to be having people's eyes on you and being what I would say, and I'm speaking from experience because I've known you since high school you were edgy for yeah, the time. Yeah. And people certainly were talking about it, like you said. And I'm curious what that felt like to be kind of exploring your own individuality, but doing it on a stage, on a platform, getting feedback from yeah. people. Well, I was getting feedback, you know? And so it was like I was getting validation. And so while people were talking about talking shit on me in my hometown, like, 
no one else cared in mm, other places, you know? And yeah. it was just, like, this moment where I'm, like, the stuff you guys are mad about is, it's not real life. Like, it's not real life. It's Barbie Land shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so I think being open to other eyes, and not that that is, it was, is another unhealthy form of coping, just seeking in other places, but influencing literally, like, changed my life in the sense that it opened my eyes to the world outside like this like very utah yeah bubble and and because i was traveling mainly above all else i was just being so open to all these other ways of life and it just felt so wrong for me to just assume that these people were wrong and mm-hmm. assume that i had all the answers and i was lucky to be born into the one true church and these tiny children in india on the street like what they just it's just like sorry out of luck yeah sorry like i don't understand i don't understand how we would all start at like different places on you know on a track we're not all on the same starting line but the end goal is the same and it's like good luck you all have to get there but this person you know this person's on first base or on fourth base and totally i think i just grew up the eyes on me I guess I've just learned more about myself because of it. I've like been forced to love myself because like I, if I hated myself too, I would be miserable. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I also think there's just time and perspective is just, it changes everything. I made a TikTok like a year ago and I was kind of joking about how my whole hometown thought Jackson came home because we had sex, like Mm. that Jackson came home from his mission. It went kind of viral and there were so many comments that were like, oh, I remember like, all the moms in the in my ward were talking about that. They're like, wow. oh, I remember like when we saw you guys at the carnival. And like, there's all these people being like, bro, that was the biggest deal. Like, why did we care? However many years after the fact, like, I don't care either. And it's just like so easy for me to be like, people figure it out. And yeah, <laughs> what a good perspective. If I, not now, maybe like exactly in twenty years. Exactly, and if not, like they're but lost. like, I, but I also feel like the people that like maybe we'll hate this interview that I do. I'll make a joke about it on threads in 20 years. (laughs) Exactly. And and they'll be like, oh my gosh, like, why did we care so much? Yeah, why was I so upset by that? And why was I so upset by that? Like, why did I care what people think? So I think um, it's really interesting. It's not for the weak, the influencing, um, especially when it comes to sharing your beliefs. It's literally people like you. It's people who are brave. um, And I think especially women need those voices to just be like because we're all feeling the same stuff yeah yeah thanks yeah thanks for saying that I feel like that's really fascinating to think about how expanding that was to your worldview like I've never thought about that and how maybe the people in your like immediate sphere were thinking oh she's wearing a bikini how absolutely scandalous but you were realizing there's literally hundreds you of thousands of people beach on Italy. And exactly. Everyone like <laughs> nobody cares. Yeah. So you were seeing that contrast and realizing, oh, these things that people around me are so worried about don't matter. But I also think that's really impressive on your part to be able to detach enough from like the immediate environment of judgment and shame and guilt and say, like, there's bigger things out there. Yeah. And I can be who I am and show myself authentically on the internet. And it's worth it, mm-hmm. even despite all of that. Yeah. Because that's a lot, you know? There's yeah. there's a huge culture of monitoring in Mormonism. Just yeah. like with what you were saying with Jack coming home early from his mission. People 
are watching Mm -hmm. and they're speculating and that's burdensome platform or no platform but I can just imagine it's exaggerated a lot with the platform I was talking to Jack the other day because we were talking about garments and he said something about like influencers and garments and I was like oh you don't even know do you remember like 2016 2017 like 100% Amber Phillips comments like every picture even now we're like why is that okay like why would people do that but back then like people felt so entitled to be like why aren't you wearing this specific underwear? Oh, yeah. It was super normal yeah. for influencers to be asked that on Q&As. And yeah. on, that was just like standard, which is pretty crazy to so think about. Weird. So weird. But I feel like I'm curious your thoughts on this. I've talked to some friends about this who like left the church earlier on as well. Well, let's talk about first before I ask that question. When would you say you left the church or... What was, did you have like a breaking point or was it just a slow burn? Like, how would you characterize actually being like, okay, I'm, you know, stepping away yeah. or this isn't for me? Um, I feel like I didn't articulate it very well earlier, but when I was talking about Jackson and our love story, that was kind of like the end point for me was like choosing him over choosing the church because mm-hmm. that's really kind of what it came down to was I loved him so wholeheartedly and deeply that was the only thing stopping me was was not like what god would think what would my mom and dad think and my grandpa my cousins and like that was it it wasn't i i I had passed the god thing i knew that god just wanted me to be happy and um had nothing to do with being mormon Mm -hmm. or having tattoos but i will say like i don't know if that would have ever happened if i didn't got if i didn't get pregnant because that was not planned and Jackson and I were really we were still like really on and off at the time like not in a good place at all but once I got pregnant it was like it literally felt like the universe forcing us together and seven is seven is a little miracle baby for so many reasons but I mean things really just finally fell into place I always say like Jack marrying Jack was just an act of self-love in a way because he loves me completely and truly like the way that I would think God would love me Mm. like just like he sees me he sees who I really am and loves me and everything about me and I would I would never have to change anything about myself for him and I was wanting to change him to fit other people and it just like occurred to me how ridiculous that was it felt like very um profound in my life at the time just the shift of like okay I have my own family now and I'm sure you know, and, I, and I've heard you talk about it on your podcast, but when you have kids, like, the game changes, you know? It goes from, well, I'll go and, like, we'll just have our own church after. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'll go, but, like, we won't, be, we won't be super strict about it, blah, 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 blah. I was like that, too. And there was still a part of me that wanted to, for, for not for me, for whoever else, still um, keep that up. Yeah maybe give my kids some structure or or just wanting that acceptance that core wound of like wanting acceptance but then it just like when it's your actual child you're just like no and so I think it was like it was literally like I was forced into choosing like what people think of me and like this Jackson who represented like my authentic self because he loved that version of me and so it was like I had to choose not accepting him, just accepting him, but accepting myself. Really, 2020 was the great awakening for a yeah, lot of people. Yeah, that's intense, yeah. But yeah, I do think people might have thought that it was earlier than that or later, but 
you know, anyone leaving the church will tell you like you have that one foot in for, yeah. for a minute. Yeah, you can do it for a long time. Yeah. That's really so beautiful to mm-hmm. hear that. I think that is such a gift for someone to be able to offer that unconditional love that yeah. you're talking about. And I love how you compared it to God even. Like, oh, when someone really loves you that way, I think you realize how silly it is to believe in a God who would demand certain exactly. things that are so trivial. So trivial, yeah. <laughs> like drinking coffee or wearing a bikini, what, what have you. Yeah. And sometimes it takes that contrast to realize, oh, there's no stipulations like that on love when it's pure and when real. It's pure, yeah. And I think that's just so beautiful. What a beautiful like testament to the love that you have mm-hmm. that it could do that for you. Let's talk about the pregnancy thing because I want to get your thoughts on motherhood as a post-Mormon. Mm-hmm. When you became pregnant, raising seven, I think there's obviously a lot going back to what we were saying before. There's a lot of expectations on mm-hmm. mothers and how to be a mother within the Mormon framework. What was that like for you from pregnancy onward to kind of be a mom, yeah. but have having just deconstructed or left your faith? Yeah, that's such a good question. I... I feel like it was such an exciting time in my life because I feel like once I made, I mean, my life changed so, so much just in the blink of an eye. And I really feel like making that choice to commit to this new family and myself, I, I really, I kind of, my business was taking off. I was doing a lot of creative work and just enjoying, enjoying motherhood. But also there was just, there's always that part of you that's like, I'm not doing it right and I'm not doing good enough because these Mormon moms are like the best moms on earth. It's insane. You know what I mean? It's like, impressive, but it's wild. They, but I, I really, people will probably rip me apart for saying this, but like I realized maybe like a year or two into Seven's life that like I was almost like posting him like because like I, I needed other people to know that I like loved my kid mm. <laughs> because I was like, that's so valid. Do you get what I mean? Like, because oh, I was literally just look at Instagram and I'm like, why am I not at the splash pad? Yep. Why am I not at these mom dates? Like, and I do work and I, and I was really like mentally ill for the first, I had really bad postpartum depression and just such a mix of feelings. But I remember like the pressure that I really kind of stopped posting my kid as much and for a lot of reasons. And I'm still kind of working through that, but the, the, it was really nice to like realize that like this, there was this pressure to appear as a really good attentive mom, even though I am, it was just like back to what we've been talking about this whole time. Like what other people mm-hmm. think of me. Like I still take pictures of my kid, but it's like, cause he's doing something cute. It's not cause like I got to get my like yeah. matching fit pick a hundred percent and like get it before he grows out of it. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's so much pressure off. And I think I have, just like so many good examples of of mothers in my life and i i genuinely think spending less time on social media has helped a lot too yeah just because that is where people post the cute mom stuff and like sometimes you don't have energy to be like the cute fun mom yeah it can be very easy to compare especially as a mom yeah i appreciate you speaking to that because as you've keep saying which i'm grateful for For some people, being the type of mom, everyone's going to be a different type of mom. And I strongly believe 
every kid needs a different type of mom. Yeah. But it can feel really, there's a lot of pressure. It can feel overwhelming to feel like, oh, like I am not a, what you would think of as a traditional caretaker. Yeah. I've never been super obsessed with babies. I'm not. I'm the least crafty human being on mm-hmm. planet earth. But then you see these moms who are crafty and mm-hmm. making quilts and all these things, which is so amazing. I'm genuinely, I'm not saying that's bad at all. It's just not me. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be. It goes back to one size fits all. Exactly. It's like, no, there's so many ways to be an amazing mother. And like you said, every kid is different and needs a different mother. And that's actually what my husband says whenever I'm like sad about mom guilt. He's like, you are the perfect mom for him yeah like no one else could be a better mom to that kid than you and I'm like okay you're right I love that I think it's I mean one thing just that comes to mind for me is travel and that's where a lot of my like mom guilt and shame has come up because we left our girls for the first time together where Bentley and I both left I want to say they were a little under a year, but I talk to moms all the time who are like, my child's three and I've never left them mm-hmm, overnight. Mm-hmm. That makes me panic. That makes me feel really panicked to think about not being able to have like a few days with my partner. Yes. But it's also fine. Like that's so beautiful. And I can understand why that might be best for one mom and their child. But I think that is often spoken to more. Oh, that was me. And I think, well, my. Your babies were in the NICU. Yes. Maybe that's why, because... That's actually a good point. Because my kid was in the NICU. I keep saying my kid. Like, I don't <laughs> it's know cute. I kind of like I it. <laughs> um, he was in the NICU, too. And I remember, I don't know, talking to a friend or something, just being like, yeah, same thing. Oh, I haven't left him for more than an hour in these three. And I was just like, am I a terrible mom? Literally. But, like, we literally had to. I know. Right when they were that's born. That's actually a really good point. And I think... When I talk about the NICU, I'm actually so grateful for the NICU. It was so hard. Yeah. Like, it's literally devastating to leave your newborn baby overnight. But it was also really nice in a lot of ways. Sleep training. You have help. <laughs> yeah. You have so much help. You have so much I think help. every woman should have the help that oh, the NICU that's offers so you. so true, yeah. And so for me, when I would talk about it sometimes, and the response would be like, oh my gosh, how did you like survive? And I'm like, it was hard. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I was like, peace out to my yeah. newborn twins. But at the same time. You know they're being held. Exactly. You know they're being cared for. And yeah. there was a lot of gratitude where I feel like I was able to heal in some ways too. Absolutely. And yeah, motherhood gets really, I get it. And I, I think really truly, I just think it's important to have different women doing it differently And when they're willing to do that publicly, I think that's really healing because I know just as many women as relate to a certain type of mom are going to relate to you Mm -hmm. as a mom and are going to see, oh, Indy is a career woman. She still is able to travel and she's a wonderful mother and they'll feel permission to do the same because ultimately for me, what I think is mom needs to be happy and a child is going to benefit more from a well-rounded happy human being taking care of them than a mom who is subverting herself and completely losing her identity to her child i mean that's that's just like women's that's what we're the biggest thing we're facing right now is like we deserve as human beings to discover ourselves and grow as human beings and discover our identities and you know, we're not just reduced to our biological role, even though it's a gift and a blessing. I think there's just so much 
shame around women who dare to like discover themselves and i think and i just think like you said the more the more women that do it it just gives permission and permission and permission it's really beautiful to see and it's beautiful because i think you're a part of that where people have seen you for a long time you've grown up on the internet through a lot of different roles and phases Mm -hmm. and seeing people who publicly faith transition who publicly become mothers and are willing to be authentic and vulnerable about it that's a really big deal Mm -hmm. particularly in the community we come from yeah and so i admire that a lot about you because i think just as you're saying when you have the reach that you have people see that and it gives people permission which is a really big deal thank you Yeah. I want to talk more about your spirituality. So you Mm -hmm. said you were a very spiritual person ever since you were a kid. I'm curious what you feel like your spirituality was like inside of Mormonism and how it's shifted or changed Mm -hmm. since stepping away from Mormonism. Yeah. I think for me, maybe that's why I like went so hard in the church was like, I did just feel this very special connection to God and to something greater and I was just you know I was always praying I was I was very very devout I guess and like I said I had a I had a lot of spiritual experiences that kind of made me like got me to a point where I can't deny that this stuff is real and this stuff is because of the church and some of those things are like my patriarchal blessing mm. which was I still read it and it still um reads very accurate to me in some ways and that's so cool there's certain things that I'm just like oh that's funny but like what I always tell people that are struggling with a faith transition is like it's not like the blindfolds off and they're like tricked you welcome to real life it's like no god I always say god just speaks to you in the language that you are ready for and need and for me that was mormonism and so I had countless spiritual experiences and beautiful moments and testimony builders that are still completely the same. I still have a lot of beliefs in the world and in and in the universe that come from the church that I maybe at first felt like I wasn't allowed to believe in anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think just looking back, I'm like, no, all of that stuff was just a reinforcement that... I've always had this intuition, this Holy Ghost that I thought I had to be worthy to have. Like, no, it's always been there. I don't need any sort of middleman um, for me to talk and connect that way. And so for me, it's just, I mean, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things, a lot of reasons why I'm not in the church anymore. But ultimately, that's it is like, I don't need anyone else. And Mm -hmm. I think community is amazing. And I think there's so many ways to find community without... Um, me dedicating my life and letting someone come between me and this connection that I feel like is my birthright. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such an integrative approach to spirituality and beliefs. And I know a lot of people call a faith transition like a faith expansion. And Mm. that kind of rings true to what you're saying where, yeah, maybe you are understanding things differently. There's like a different framework. But to be able to look at your patriarchal blessing and say, there was someone who was connecting to something, whatever you want to call it, that it still is meaningful to you. I think that's really beautiful. And I think it's a healthy integration because there is a temptation to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, if it touched Mormonism, it's bad and wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that it can be really beautiful to say, that led me where I am today, that kind of shaped me spiritually. And now I can 
take things, leave things, reimagine things. But like you said, that's the spiritual language that we learned. Mm-hmm. And I I feel similarly. There's I had many, many spiritual experiences, deep, meaningful spiritual experiences that I definitely view differently now, but it doesn't mean they weren't meaningful or important. Yeah. And I think that that's a really nice way to look at it. And it's hard. I admire that too, because I think a lot of times with leaving the church, there's anger, there's maybe betrayal. So I think to be able to get to that point is, is really nice. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm angry. Yeah. There's (laughs) things to be angry about. But I also think, um, it's okay to be angry. Like there's also this, this attitude among a lot of Mormons that have left. That's just like, Oh, I can't stand people that just talk shit. Like, Oh, like leave. And this isn't even from Mormons. It's like ex Mormons. They're like, Oh, I'm not angry at it. It's just not for me, which is great. But for a lot of people, like that anger feels like there's nowhere for it to go because the Mormons are just like, leave it alone. Mm -hmm. And then even the ex-Mormons are like, well, I'm not angry at it. Like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just want people to know, like, it's okay to be angry. Yeah, it is. I love that. I think it's been super interesting, obviously, doing a podcast all about it, how there is kind of a mentality of, oh, I left the church, but like, it's whatever. Yeah. And I'm like... It's, it's kind gonna, of a big deal. It's going to catch up to you. Like, maybe yeah. that's a bad that's a bad way of saying it. Like, maybe not. Some people, everyone's different. How you grow up in Mormonism affects it. But I kind of think, like, you can't avoid it, in my opinion. It's going to come yeah. somehow. And maybe you need five years to not think about it, and then it will come, or 20 years, or whatever. But to me, I think it's so healthy for processing to be able to talk about it and to be able to talk about it in ways that are not black and white that are nuanced that allow space for the entirety of the experience because I do see people who are just kind of like oh like that's boring like get something new and I'm like yeah it's actually a really big deal and being able to talk about it is a big deal like anything and we were talking about this a bit earlier but just putting words like I'm so excited for your book. I feel like you've done this on social media, but just putting words to experiences mm-hmm. and telling stories, as you know, so is incredibly helpful. powerful yeah. and incredibly yeah. helpful. And yeah, the Mormon thing has its own, you know, controversy surrounding it. But I think that there's so much value in just articulating experiences stories, and yeah. feelings and our stories. And I think if you've been part of Mormonism and left it, it's just kind of inevitably a piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. at the very least. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where do you feel like you are now with Mormon stuff, spiritual, you know, you've gone through a lot. You went through, you're a mother, you're a businesswoman. I'm just curious kind of how you would characterize yeah. how you are now. You've alluded a lot to like therapy and unpacking yeah. and deconstructing and therapy. I don't, I feel like 26 is like the perfect time to be like, what is the last, like, what has my life been? Like, mm-hmm. um, and so that's like what I've been doing. I mean, I've been, I've been doing therapy for a few years now and just reflecting. And the book is crazy because I'm literally going, I have to go deep into my childhood. And, yeah. um, and so I'm, I'm having a lot of realizations, but where I'm at with spirituality, I feel very, where am I at? I'm like, I'm connecting more to like my feminine and like my feminine powers. I think I operate in my masculine a lot. Mm. And 
I do think there's just something so powerful about this like feminine energy that's going on in the rise of the collective feminine and I just feel more in tune as a mother and like with creation I think the feminine is all about creativity and so with my book and with my business even I think um just to me like art is my religion and I I don't mean like painting I just mean like cooking and going for a walk and listening to my favorite songs in the car and just like living an artful life like to me I think that's it's like it's that simple I see you have the creative act yes that's like that's my bible a hundred percent yeah yeah I love that so much I think it kind of connects to to what we were talking about with presence and for me when I was Mormon a lot of my mentality was doing what was right in order to get somewhere to the next goal or the ultimate goal And I feel similarly where I'm trying to go more inward, more micro level, make more out of the moments, the everyday things. And yeah, I think you expressed that so beautifully because I feel very in tune spiritually as well when I'm creating and connecting in that way. And it's very different to me from Mormonism, but to your earlier point, there's kind of glimmers of the Mormon theology that come through too, which is nice. There will always will be. Yeah. yeah. Well, with that feminine energy thing, I'm appreciative of you saying that as well, because I think I also am maybe more in my masculine a lot of times. And I think there's so much beauty and joy in reclaiming feminine energy, especially when there's a lot of kind of convoluted connections with feminism exactly, yeah. with what it means to be what a woman means, with yeah. what we talked about and yeah. saying oh ma- there's pieces of that that still apply but actually being in our feminine energy is really powerful mm-hmm. is really creative receiving it's soft a hundred percent like things slow like you said exactly yeah. and there's kind of it's kind of fun to reclaim something that maybe when we're growing up we were told Full negative that, yeah. exactly yeah. it's like this one thing so i think that's really really beautiful I so appreciate you coming on. I think you have I such just a... just and it's over. Oh, I know. I am always feel like we could talk for oh hours gosh. and hours more. But I think you have a really beautiful way of speaking to all of this. And I've said this throughout the conversation, but I just admire people who do this publicly. I really, truly think you're braver than the Marines. <laughs> because I'm strong now. I mean, seriously, I have like little glimmers of what that could feel like on that scale. And it's scary and it's yeah. hard. And I think that it's really admirable. And it sounds like you've done a lot of internal work to be able to manage what comes with all of that, which yeah. I think is really impressive. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Any final words, anything you wanted to talk about or? Um, no, but you know what you should do? What? You should do your own girls camp. I want to. Like, that would be so fun. Wouldn't that be so fun? Because I miss it. Right? <laughs> that's feminine energy, well, right? I mean, that's like what we could talk about for, we could yes. do another podcast, but like the lack, not knowing like, like the community aspect, like I, I need that. Totally. And I miss it. I miss that. Totally. And I think with girls camp, when you think about the feminine energy, so much of that that comes up for me is girls camp. Yeah, it's just women in the woods, yeah. the sisterhood, braiding the hair making bracelets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need that. I actually want to do something sooner rather than later. So you better be there. Oh, I'll be there. 
Thank you so much, Indy. I really appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you guys. Bye. Cheers.